Welcome to the CDRB Show, the podcast where you get to know some of the coolest people around. I'm your host, Christian Rodriguez, and each week I sit down with a special guest to chat about their life, career, and all the things that make them awesome. We cover some serious topics that matter, but don't worry, we keep it real and laid back. You never know what kind of insights and surprises you'll get, but one thing's for sure, we're always having a good time. So kick back, relax, and join us for another episode of the CDRB Show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the CDRB Show, the podcast where we talk with several people about their lives and careers. Today I have the honor of talking with uh, Larry Graham, Director of Public Safety. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you thanks for, for having being me. here. Well, oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about several topics about your job, but uh, we also want to know about the person here uh, in this podcast. So first, I want to talk with you about your background. Uh, so can you please tell us where you were born? I was born in Sioux City, Iowa. It's a, it's a, not super small. I mean, I used to think it was a small town, but now I live in Scranton, <laughs> and that's a town of like 222. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nope. So I grew up in Iowa, and then um, after I graduated high school, I ended up joining the Navy. And so then I got a chance to, like, uh, go all around. I could literally went around the world one and a half times. Wow. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was good for me. How was your life when you were a child? How were you raised by your parents? Ooh, um, there's good and bad, like everybody has. I mean, you know, you always wish you had that perfect life, but um, I think it was just a typical small-town America kind of deal. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, will you say that you had any like struggle that like made you like have a different kind of character maybe, or something that made you like, uh, push you yourself, uh, into life? Yeah, I think I, I mean, well, I struggled quite a bit actually when I was younger. Um, well, I'm, I'm an, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so, like, when I was in high school, I got in some trouble with some drinking. I graduated from high school early because it was kind of weird because I was in all these accelerated classes. Like, somebody decided I was smart at some point. But then I graduated high school with a 2.0. And then on top of that, it was like, so I graduated high school early to go to college. And my first semester in college, I had a .03 GPA. And that was horrible. Mm. But I did get the Pledge of the Year for the Teak program because I drank so much. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but then when I got in the Navy, um, uh, I quit drinking after a while, after I got in a little more trouble again. Mm -hmm. But that kind of pushed me. I always kind of pushed myself. I wanted to be, I think if you look back and I'm being honest with myself, there's a lot of insecurity. Uh, I was insecure about who I was, what I wanted to be. And I think part of that pushed me to do better. But then it also kind of forced me to figure out what I want to do in life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think some people want to be happy. And then I heard somebody talk the other day that what's important in life is have a meaningful life. So I wanted to help people. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make a change. But I knew for me to do that and accomplish the things I wanted to do, I had to take care of some of the things and the issues that were holding me back. And part of that was my drinking. And that was a huge change that kind of, you know, you know pushed me throughout my life. How, how will you say that that drinking problem started? I think from the very first time I drank, I drank different than everybody else. It was uh, to be something different, you know, to be different than who I was. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to that insecurity. But, you know, yeah, I started off drinking 
from the very first time wasn't just, oh, just have a couple. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like the typical alcoholic story. If I have one, oh, I want two. Two feels pretty good. I'll have three. (laughs) Well, three's pretty good. I might as well have four. And then I just never could hit that stop button. And uh, when I realized that was holding me back and that was a problem, um, you know, then it allowed me to start growing as a person. Because you get stunted after a while because all the problems and stress that are coming at you, when you drink it away, you're never dealing with it. You know, what are the issues you might be having with your family or you might be having at work? You don't deal with it. You just drink it away. Yeah. When, when will you say that was the moment that you really realized that you had that issue and wanted to make a change about it? I think it, it happened a couple times. One, the first time was with, I was in the Navy. And when I was in the Navy, um, which to get, I went to rehab in the Navy, which is that's pretty hard to do because, you know, Navy, Marine Corps, you, you, everybody's drinking, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the – and um, and I got sober there, but then I went nine years, but I did nine years basically where I wasn't really working a program, where I wasn't going to meetings, I wasn't taking care of myself and working the steps. And then when I was uh, when I was a police officer back in Portland, I had started drinking again after I got hired. And it's a long story, but I kind of – I. The problems that I had before, I just thought, well, I was young, it was stupid, I didn't really have a problem, and then I started drinking again and I had a problem. And for me it was, I was going into the schools, I was dealing with kids, I was arresting people for driving drunk, I was arresting and dealing with people that were having issues. But I didn't want to be that person that came and talked to the kids and told them to make good life decisions, and then I wasn't making it myself. I didn't want to end up on the paper and let them down. So that was important to me, not to let them down and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, and now um, in this October, I've got like uh, 20 years of sobriety. Okay. Yeah, so that was a big deal. I didn't know we'd be talking about yeah. this, but, you know, I can only be honest. And, yeah. and I'm not, stuff like that doesn't, you know, I wish I made better decisions, but I think sometimes when I share that, it's important for people to know you can make mistakes and you can overcome them and you can move on. You know, just because you make one mistake, that doesn't define you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a person, you can change, and you can keep on, you know, moving. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk to my kids. You know, I teach criminal justice up here is one of the things I do. You know, I'll be honest with them about what's happened in the past because it lets them know, hey, mm-hmm. not everybody. You know, I wish I could be that little Boy Scout that never did all those <laughs> other things. But in a way, I think some of the mistakes I made in my past actually helped me become a better cop because I think it gave me better compassion and understanding, you know, just because somebody made one bad mistake doesn't define them. You know, I've said that twice, but it's like there's a person underneath there. There's the feelings and everything else. Yeah, in the end, nobody is perfect and no. will commit mistakes. And I really appreciate uh, about your honesty and openness to talk about these uh, different topics. Can you tell us a little bit... Um, if you had any kind of support during those stages, during those types of issues that you've been through in that time? I think the biggest support for me was um, when I got hired as a police officer, and this was back in 91. I first got hired as a corrections deputy. I was worked in the jail for five years. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got my degree. Then I was able to get hired in Portland Police And when we first got hired, they told everybody, hey, if you have problems, you know, a lot of things that gets cops jammed up is alcohol and things like that. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. If you have depression, don't be afraid to reach out for help. One of the things I found out very quickly, they tell you that when you get hired, but when you get out to the street, you got old sergeants and stuff like that, that they're not giving the same message, you know. And um, I had a coach that was a really good uh, support for me. 
and they helped me get um, into counseling and then helped me, you know, help me walk through that. But I decided when I wanted to go up through the ranks and I wanted to be a leader, it's like I wasn't going to hide that stuff. I was going to I was going to own it. But then I was hopefully that would let other people that that were around me and that worked for me that maybe they do the same thing. And so that was part of the things that kind of helped out. And then I ended up working with uh, being on the police alcohol recovery team. And so then we reached out when other officers had problems. Mm-hmm. They could come you know, to us, and we could help them get to where they needed to and turn their lives around. Can you tell us also a little bit about your family? My family? Uh, my, dad, uh, my dad died in 2001, and my mom died just a couple of years ago during the COVID thing. And so, you know, I love my family a lot, but there's a reason I moved all the way to Portland. It's like I needed to get out on my own, and I wanted to mm. make my own life. Yeah. And so. And um, we also want to know oh, more about mm. the, the person itself. So I am interested in knowing what type of hobbies do you have? What do you do in your spare time? Right now, my, my spare time is uh, I play video games. That's my spare time right. stuff. I play, you know, I played a little bit of everything. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm playing Path of Exiles. It's kind of like Diablo, but like on steroids. It's super deep, and mm-hmm. there's all these for- formulas and stuff. But I spend a lot of my time taking care of my wife and my daughter. And, um, and then I start my doctorate program in May. So I don't right. know if I'm going to have much spare time anymore. In uh, what will be your doctorate? Um, my doctorate's going to be in criminal justice with an emphasis on education. So oh. it's like perfect for what I'm doing up here. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So maybe in the future we'll have uh, another uh, conversation here and it will be Dr. Larry Graham. That'd be kind of cool. Thinking yeah. about that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. You asked me about my family. I was thinking of my mom and dad and stuff. But my family, I married um, my wife, Kara uh, Graham. And I have a daughter, mm-hmm. and my daughter's uh, 14. She goes to Scranton. She's doing wonderful. Like mm-hmm. me, where I struggled through, she's getting straight A's, and she's playing sports and doing wonderful. Wow. And and I got lucky, and uh, my wife's a fire breather. She used to be a, a district attorney. That's how we met. Oh, we right. had a court case where I, w- I, didn't sh- I was late for court, and she called me up. And then uh, we got married, and uh, she continued on, and... Um, Being a district attorney, then she put her own, they, they call it, uh, when they, she started her own law firm, they mm-hmm. used to call it putting your own shingle up. And she uh, she did that, and she did uh, defense stuff, and she did uh, stuff with children. So it gives me a lot of perspective on the other side, but she's my, um, yeah, she's my fire. She's my partner for life. That's great. Yeah. So I, I bet that you can say that uh, the whole experience you went through when you were a young, um, um, as your daughter, has helped you maybe to uh, raise her in a way that she can avoid those type of issues in the future? I think, it, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I look back and there's the things that you always kind of wish your parents would have done different. And hopefully this I can make it so it's about her mm-hmm. and not about me. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping I'm doing it better. But we all screw up. I mean, every yeah. parent, you look back and go, oh, why did I, uh, <laughs> you know, that's life. But yeah. it's normal. But I think I'm doing, I hope I'm doing it better. Yeah. Um, about hobbies as well, uh, what do you do on weekends? Like a regular weekend outside the office, what the normal thing? Um, the weekends, I got all the stuff around the house. We have 40, that's one of the things I've just, it's wonderful. I have 40 acres. I got a pond with fish in it. Uh, when it's hunting season, I go out there. I won't say I'm hunting because in the last four years I've gone hunting, I've only got one deer. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy that. 
but I got all kinds of, you know, yard maintenance, the same stuff that every, you know, you have to do around the house, doing repairs, doing fix-up and stuff like, you know. Uh, you play video games, a lot mm -hmm. of video games. Can you tell us what type of video games? I like strat I like the strategies. Strategy. You know, first-person shooters are fun, you know, like... Um, Call like, of Duty? Uh, no, I don't no. like Call of Duty as much because it's, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's too close to work. Um, <laughs> it, it's more, yeah, of, it's more of the... You know, I think if I'm being honest, it's the the ones where you just get lucky, where you get a good drop and you get a little bit better and you get a little bit better. But then I like the strategy games where you kind of kind of think things out and you kind of plan it plan ahead. And yeah, you have know. you played GTA? <laughs> yeah, I've played it a little bit. Yeah, I played it all. You break the law in GTA? Well, of course, <laughs> it's it, you know it's fantasy, right? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think what got me was when you have to uh, kill a hooker and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, I'm out. You know, I think this is a perfect moment to ask you about this, you being a law enforcement uh, person. Do you think that video games make violent people? I've read studies on it, mm -hmm. and they've actually gone through. Uh, David Grossman wrote, wrote a book, and this is, uh, and I've been through some of his seminars, and it's been a while, so don't quote me on this exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't think it makes somebody necessarily violent, but I think it, if somebody has a propensity, it does elevate it. What they had shown in some of the active shooters and stuff that they had in the past were, you know, you look back on in, in history, it's hard to actually shoot and kill somebody. Mm -hmm. And they looked at the number of shots at how many times somebody had to shoot to actually shoot somebody in World War One, uh, And it was like you might have to, I'm making this number up, but it's like a thousand bullets to hit one person in World War One, And then World War Two, it was like 500. In Vietnam, they got better, and that was like down to 100. Yeah. But some of these kids are coming out, and because of the video games and stuff, when they do become active shooters, they saw it was like, boom, boom, one to the head. I mean, stuff that you'd only do in a video game. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that can have an impact, but I think anything does. How do we keep everybody from, you know, that's the thing about freedom. Do you let people have their life and exposure, or do you, do you put everybody in a bubble wrap? Yeah, I, and um, I also think that when you start prohibiting things, it makes more appealing to people to do those things that are forbidden, you know? Yeah. So. I, yeah, I want to I want to say, like, in uh, Colorado, mm -hmm. if, if I got this right, uh, I wish I had this in front of me, but I think, like, in Colorado, when they lowered, when they legalized marijuana, I think, mm -hmm. actually, the amount of use kind of dropped because it wasn't a forbidden kind of deal anymore. There's other problems that came with it, but there's also that, you know, yeah. ooh, it's bad. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. You know, now that we were talking about this um, type of topics, um, we live in a dry county here uh, mm -hmm. in Johnson County. Do you think that's the best thing for campus? For for the f not only for campus, but for the whole the whole county because uh, we're college students. Uh, <laughs> what I'd say about that is it's not my decision. That's the people that live here's decision yeah. and what they want to do. Um, I mean, I doesn't. I don't think it keeps anybody from drinking. It doesn't curtail it at all. I mean, everybody still has ac al mm -hmm. access to alcohol. You just drive over the bridge. You drive down here. Yeah. You know, it's kind of even like the laws. And you know, if you ask people in my, we talk to my you know, criminal justice classes. You know, all the kids, how many drank before they're under eight, before they were 21? Well, mm -hmm. all of them did. So is that really helping? You know, I know yeah. when I grew up, they changed the laws where it was 18 as a drinking age, and they moved it to 19. Mm -hmm. And part of that was to keep the alcohol out of the high school kids. Yeah. But it's it still happens. Yeah, I I, I once uh, read an article about how that drinking age um, race happened uh, mm -hmm. with 
the federal government cutting funds to every state that didn't raise the the legal age to 21. Yeah, that's how they change a lot of things. Yeah. It? Yeah. It's, yeah. Do you think 21 is better than 18? Or you know, should it be It depends. Because here's, uh, here's my example. And when I was 18 years old, I was able to join the Navy and sign my life away for four years. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't drink legally. I, you know, I can do all these things. I can yeah. commit myself, but I, it, that really bothered me. But I think that bothers a lot of people. But what happens, nobody cares about it because by the time you, you start voting, it's, the, uh, it's the, yeah. the other person's problem. I, you know, I hate to make a comment with, without looking at the studies and see how it impacts because, I mean, it's so easy to just take an outside glance on anything mm -hmm. and go make an opinion. And then you start looking at the stats and you're going, oh, wait, maybe not. You know, yeah. maybe that isn't such a good idea to reverse that back to 18 or not. Yeah. Um, now we're going to talk about your studies. Um, you studied management and communications at the Concordia University, right, in Portland, Oregon, yep. Portland, Oregon. And a master's in criminal justice at the American Military University in Charleston, West Virginia. So my question is, How did you decide to study criminal justice uh, after graduating? Well, I think it, it was uh, well, my career at the time. I was a lieutenant working uh, in the Portland Police Bureau. Mm -hmm. And so it was a good – getting that master's degree was kind of like a good another uh, corner stepping stone. If you, when you got done, if you wanted to be a chief of police somewhere, you needed to they say you had to have three stools. One is you had to have uh, management experience in a large organization – You had to um, attend the FBI National Leadership Academy, and then, and then you had to have that master's degree. If you have those three things, you're set up to go in to be a chief somewhere else. So part of it was for career building. Mm -hmm. I originally thought I wanted to do history, but they said I had to speak another language. I took French in high school for two years, and I got D minuses. Oh. You know, my poor uh, people, you know, I, I can't roll my R's. I have a hard time with Spanish, and you know, I've tried taking a little piecemeal and stuff, but, you know. But the criminal justice I've really enjoyed and it's worked out well because it's given me a chance to teach up here, you know, which I never thought I'd have that opportunity to do. Yeah. And, you know, I love it and it's a passion. And I'm not a cop anymore, but it's it's nice now that, you know, even though I've done the things in the past, I can I can help all those that are going to be going into it, maybe pass the baton, help them not make the same mistakes I did. And yeah. So did you have like a clear path since the beginning of what things you wanted to do in life and... Oh, okay. So here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be, I think what came out was uh, Officer and a Gentleman hmm. came out. With, uh, so I wanted to be a Navy fighter pilot. Well, obviously with my 2.0 GPA, you're not getting in Annapolis with that. So hmm. when I talked to the recruiter, this is what they told me. And this is, it's, it's kind of funny if I think about it now. They said, listen, we're going you tested really well on your uh, ASFAB, your military interest exam. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going to let you go into the Navy nuclear program. You get done with that, that'll be real successful. Then you can apply for the Annapolis. And once you go to Annapolis, then you can apply to be a pilot. That would never happen in a million years, <laughs> uh, which is probably a good thing because I think the Army wanted me to fly Apache helicopters, and but I probably would have killed somebody. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that was my original goal was I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And, um, but when that didn't work out, when I was in the Navy, we had an instructor come on board when we were over in the Persian Gulf and he actually was an old, uh, Los Angeles police detective and worked on like the Charlie Manson murders mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. And he taught an intro to criminal justice class. And I was like, you know, that, that's, I think when that got put in the back of my head. 
And then when I went back out of the Navy, I was working on being a uh, computer operator and a computer programmer. And it, it, that kind of faded away. And so when I got hired as a corrections deputy and I could go out there and then finally work in Portland where I could actually go out and make a difference. I think what happened was I decided I, I didn't want to make a million things. I didn't want to sell a million things. I didn't necessarily want to be a millionaire. I wanted to be comfortable, but I wanted to make a difference. That's where I felt that, um, you know, uh, I think God was leading me. And that's where I felt my soul. Uh, you also mentioned that um, that you went to the FBI National Leadership Academy in Quantico, Virginia, yep. in 2015, right? Right. Could you explain us more about that experience and what was your purpose of doing it? It's That's kind of an honor to get to go. Less than 1% of all law enforcement ever get to go there. It's you got to be vetted. you got to pass a, back, a separate background. And, um, And that's your chance to get her hang around and you spend and you go to that academy and you take a bunch of college courses and you're hanging out with um, other leaders throughout the country. Mm -hmm. And you get to see things and get to experience a lot of different stuff that a lot of people don't get to do. And it was actually a huge honor. And I'm really humbled that I got a chance to do that. Um, it also kind of, once you've completed that, it opens some doors for you, at least in, you know, career wise in the law enforcement community. Um, talking about your uh, work outside Ozarks, you mentioned already that you were part of the U.S. Navy Reserves as a petty officer. Yeah. When I got out of the – I did four years active duty, and then I stayed in uh, in the reserves for a couple of years. And what's the what does uh, being a petty officer mean? Petty officer is kind of like you're an enlisted rank, so I was like an E5. You're kind of like a middle management supervisor, you know, kind of coming up okay. kind of deal. Um, moving forward a little bit uh, more, and when you uh, were a corrections deputy, you mentioned that uh, that you were working in a jail. How was your experience in that job? I liked it. It was interesting. Uh, part of the things that really I learned doing that was I learned how to talk to people, people from all over the place, um, people that were angry, people that were drunk, people that were sad. And you start, you know, you learn how to navigate and you learn how to use your you know, communication skills to de-escalate things. I saw other people escalate things up. Hmm. I learned a valuable lesson, never tell a large group of people to shut up. That was a bad mistake that turned into a big riot kind of deal. Oh. But, uh, um, yeah, it, and, but what it did tell me in there was, like, you're basically, I don't know how else to put this, that you're babysitting adults. Adults yeah. have made a lot of bad decisions. Adults that are constantly trying to manipulate, move, and try to get through the system because they're bored, and that's just what they do. But what I realized when I was working there, I wanted to go out. I wanted to work on the street. I wanted to interact with people before things got bad. I wanted to make a difference out there. And um, I was right at that point where the longer I stayed, well, you get your seniority in there, and you start making more money, and all of a sudden you're not working nights and weekends anymore. You can have days. You don't want to make that jump. Yeah. But I really wanted to go out and do that. And part of me also wanted to know, you know, I, I think people always ask, why did you become a cop? Whatever it is, I wanted to help people. But I also wanted to know, could I run towards the gunfire? Mm -hmm. Could I do that? And I, you know, and I wanted to find out. Um, you have a lot of experience as a police officer, having worked around 20, 22 years for the Portland Police Bureau. From all, from all those years, what is the best memory you have from it? You know, my best memory is a thing called Camp Rosenbaum. Camp Rosenbaum's a, um, 
the kids camp that's hosted by the uh, National Guard, the Air National Guard, and they have a partnership with the Police Bureau and the Housing Authority of uh, Portland. And so what they do, it's just this weird thing that's never been able to be replicated where they'll take kids from the Housing Authority for one week and they get to go and have a summer camp experience. Well, that summer camp, while you're down there, the kids, you got, I got to be a camp counselor and there'd be a handful of other cops down there. Well, the kids get to pick your name. So the kids got to pick my name. It was between Big Daddy, because that's when Adam Sandler's movie came out, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Back before I got a little bit fatter, they thought I looked like Steve, Cones, Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin. So the kids named me Stone Cold. Well, we're down there all week, and you're just a camp counselor. You're doing your stuff. Well, the very last day, right before they get on the buses to go home again, we all came out in their uniforms. And their eyes light up, and they're still hanging on you just like you know, before and that experience down there was magical seeing that impact and on the kids and how all these other people that were around you also had these great hearts that were trying to do the right yeah. thing and so that's one of my best memories you know was that something that happened like in a regular basis like annually every year every it's day? still going on now even though the i think it's probably a heck of a lot harder um because the staffing and stuff so i was started out as a counselor by the time i was a group leader then i was mm -hmm. As I went up in ranks, you know, in the Portland Police Bureau, I had a different role. And then um, I was actually able for twice to hold a, a summer sports camp in Portland itself where I got to be the camp. I, I got to run it. Mm -hmm. But it was I didn't do the hard work. The hard work was everybody else. But yeah. that that's the thing. People talk about what's important with uh, the community. You know, there's, you know, people talk about implicit bias. And the best way for me to kind of wrap my mind around that is, If I go to the McGillicuddy's house, and every time I get called the McGillicuddy's house, it's domestic violence things or things are really horrible and stuff, and I go there three years, do I think maybe personally that the McGillicuddy's are messed up? Mm -hmm. Maybe, but maybe they got all this other great stuff that I never get mm -hmm. to see. And so after a while, I, I might just have this bias against the McGillicuddy's, right? Maybe earn, maybe not. But with the community, it can be the same way. If you're dealing with the community and all you see is the negative, all you see is the negative, after a while do you start thinking, oh, man. So the, how do you combat that and how do you offset it is you interact with the community and the positive stuff. You get to it when you, you know, so when you get to do with, deal with the kids and the families where things are good, then you build up that other side of it. You build up, you inoculate yourself from it is a better way to do it. And that's why that's so important. work that community part, right? Right. Because that's you're getting the community. So if the only time I deal with the community is when somebody gets beaten or murdered or horrible, mm -hmm. that that weighs on you. And then you got to, but having that other positive interactions offsets a lot mm -hmm. of that negative. Uh, talking about that uh, part, what would you say was the hardest experience you you had while being a police officer? Um, I think for me the hardest experiences I ever had wasn't the dead bodies. Um, for me personally, was staying true to myself, mm -hmm. making the right decisions, even in the face of others that weren't supporting me or maybe help, you know, those were the hardest, mm -hmm. especially when I became a leader and moved up. Um, I think in the, I worked in the jail. I found there was a deputy bringing in, um, sage for a uh, Native American inmate, which is totally not allowed. Think about that. You bring something in for one inmate that offsets the security and stuff. Mm. And when I reported after that, I had, a, you know, I guess I was harassed, you know. Um, I had a couple deputies bark at me, <laughs> weird stuff like that. And then I had to stand up in um, uh, 
make a hard decision when I worked for the Portland Police Bureau. And it was one of those where the chief had said one time, you know, you, you make the right decision. You do what's right even in, when it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I believe I did that. But, you know, sometimes you make those decisions and people don't, you know, give you a parade. They don't pat you on the back. Oh, yeah. you, you have to deal with the consequences. But at the end of the day, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm about to be buried in the ground, I go see my maker. Hopefully I made those right decisions mm-hmm. and I can feel confident with it. I've seen too many people in leadership, they make the mistake of saying, listen, I have to sacrifice or I have to compromise, compromise this and I got to compromise that so I can rise up and I can make the change. Well, my theory is you don't sell your soul one, one big signature, one thing at a time. You sell your soul a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. And then when you need it, you realize it's gone. Mm-hmm. Were you exposed to like dangerous situations when you were part of the Oh, yeah. Home? Yeah, lots of times. I mean, Portland was pretty dangerous by the time that when I first got hired there, that's when the crime rate was really high. And all the work that we did and the <laughs> stuff that we did with the community brought it down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, been in vehicle pursuits. You know, I, I was lucky. I never had to um, shoot anybody, came close a bunch of times. A lot of the people I got hired with, most, God, what was there, six or eight of us? And I think all of them, except maybe two of us, either got shot, shot somebody, got shot. You know, the best friend in my wedding got shot, and he oh. had to shoot two people. And another guy got shot in the head, but he got lucky because it bounced around his skull and went out. And, yeah, it's, it was, you know, it's, it's a dangerous job. Yeah. Um, you retired in 2018 from the position of captain at the Portland Police Bureau. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you think about retirement? Um, it was time for me to go. I think uh, part of it was my wife uh, was originally from Texas, and I promised her when I could retire, I'd bring her back home uh, to family. Um, the politics out in Portland had changed quite a bit. You know, I remember I was running, uh, I was in charge of the uh, I was, you know, when you have uh, crowd control, riot situations and stuff, I was running those. And I got stood down because I said I was proud of my officers. And I knew if just saying that when they did something good was enough to get me, I couldn't make a change anymore. And some people say we're prophetic now because, they, you know, that agency when I was there was absolutely one of the best in the country. I honestly believe that. And uh, because of the politics and the stuff that was run by the city and stuff, they've just tore it apart and it breaks my heart yeah what does retirement mean in terms like for a police officer and what things are you able to do and what things are you not able to do anymore after being a retired from police officer well i mean when you're an officer right when you're a police officer people look at you and you're you're actually whether you like it or not you're you're held to a higher standard of the law mm-hmm. if i'm a cop working you know working for portland if i if i use marijuana i'm undermining myself and everybody else if i do anything illegal if i use my badge to get out of a ticket that's mm-hmm. going to look horrible um so there's a there's a lot, high level of uh, expectations when somebody is working I'm not a cop anymore. Who cares? What I mean, people care. I mean, obviously, you know, my, my boss cares and yeah. stuff, but it's, it's not that same level of scrutiny, nor should it be. You know, I think there's a lot of good cops, but I think the scrutiny is also fair because there's so much power that's held in an officer. I mean, think about that. If you're on the street when I was a cop, I could arrest you for probable cause with this just 51%. 
So if I decide, if, I, if I'm not a person of good moral character and anything else, could I go and pick and abuse my power and abuse people? Yeah, definitely. So that's why you want to hold everything in check. Will you say that it will probably be easy for a bad police officer to try to ring someone's life by, like, making false uh, testimonies of, Uh, you find you find some something on their car or something like that. Absolutely, that's why it's so important to pick good quality people, hold them accountable. Yeah, it's it's very possible. And I think that has happened already. In, in I I I watch a YouTube channel uh, about police pursuits and right. all that, and about uh, bad police officer as well as well it's called i think blue cam code blue cam, or something. something like that yeah. i've probably seen some of those too <laughs> yeah I, I really like those videos <laughs> i worked in internal affairs and so i, I saw some of that and i saw mm -hmm. people make bad decisions and i saw people abuse their power and then get held accountable yeah. that's you know and that's how it's supposed to work you're supposed to you know identify those things you know and then hold people accountable when they start making those mistakes yeah So after you retired, you came here at Ozarks yeah. as the director of public safety. So uh, what I want to know is how did you decide to come here to Ozarks? I, I think God brought us here. Yeah, absolutely. My wife got a job. I don't know. We argue about who got hired first, me or her. Mm -hmm. She got a job working over with um, Advancement. You know, Advancement? Yeah, I think where Lori McBee is. Anyhow, she got a job over there. I got uh, here, and the reason we came in this area because basically um, her sister is an alumni here. And so when she went to college, her folks who were in Texas, and I thought that's where we're going to end up. Well, her, it's a long story, but her father lost a job. When she was going to school here, they bought her a house that they're going to use as a vacation property. Well, then they decided to move here, and we started looking in this area, and it was just like, There was two jobs that opened up, one for me, one for her. It was just perfect timing. And then we um, that's how we ended up here. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that. A lot of things that happened in my life I might not have liked at the time, but it almost seemed like God was paving the way to get me there. Yeah. So, like, everything you did in the past was all yeah. the things that will bring you to this point, right? Right. Yeah. To put in context to our audience that may or not may not be from Ozarks, uh, we're around um, 1,100 people here at the university with um, staff, staff and, and faculty, uh, yeah, students. So, how do you feel it's working at Ozarks? Uh, like comparing it to your previous jobs? I love it. This place is. I, I don't think people realize what the University of Ozark is like. I know when I left Oregon and I said I was coming down here to Arkansas and some people and I had people in the city attorney's office actually questioned me when I was being, um, they almost assumed that I was coming down here. I swear they thought I was going to join the Klan or something. Hmm. It's like, really? You don't think there's diversity, you know, down in Arkansas and stuff, but coming down here, it's like, I deal with some of the same things that I dealt with up in Portland. But now I can really focus on, on the kids when there's problems and other people. And I think I got a pretty good perspective when to blow something up and, hey, this is really important or yeah, this, is really, this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But it really lets me focus on um, the kids, the students. You know, I'm, always, I'm getting old, so you call everybody kids. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, you can focus on them. Where do they need help? How do they, you know, and hopefully they trust me enough, you know, where they'll, they'll say, hey, something's going on, they call me. And, you know, they can ask for help and they know that I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be, you know, 
going to yeah. be there for him. Um, let's talk about something you did in 2020 as the director of public safety, that, and that was when you took over as the title IX coordinator for oh, the university. That's the Title IX coordinator. What what is Title IX coordinator? Right. Title IX was a uh, law that was passed by um, that was that requires all um, universities that take funding from the government that provide equal opportunities. You know, primarily when it first opened, that was uh, was like sports. So it's like if. Um, you had a men's soccer team, well, you should have a girls' soccer team and stuff. Okay. But then it also looks at um, if there's like a sexual assault, stuff like that. Are we, um, are we making sure that, um, you know, everybody gets equitable treatment, you know, mm -hmm. sec you know and following up? Um, I feel you like also, I jumped around on it yeah. a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, you also started teaching some courses here at the University of the Ozarks after you came in. Um, some of those are criminal justice, criminal law one and two. Mm -hmm. um, was teaching part of your plans? No, what ha teaching wasn't part of my plan. I got lucky. Um, my first semester when I got here, they asked me if I'd be willing to fill in and teach an intro to criminal justice class. And so I got a chance to um, teach that. And then it was like, oh, we need. can you teach it again? Sure, I can teach it again. And then it was kind of like, oh, we need you again. Can you teach it again? Hmm. Um, and then when uh, Dr. Dipple passed away, and it was funny because Dr. Dipple was the one that uh, hired me. Well, he was on my hiring board. He didn't hire me, but he was on my hiring panel mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, when he passed away, I, w I was honored that they asked me to take over and teach his class. And I guess they, my kids don't hate me enough that they, you know, vetoed me out yet, so I'm still doing <laughs> it. So now I'm, I'm now doing it permanently, I think, half time. And I love that because, one, it gives me face-to-face -face with the kids. You know, they get asked questions. They get to know me a little bit. I get to be myself. I, I probably teach different than some of the other instructors yeah. because I, you know, because I can. And because uh, I didn't come from academia. I came from, you know, I have the work experience. Then I came into teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times they people focus on their teach. you know, on the academics, 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 and they teach. You know, I get to bring, I get to share stories when I tell my stuff, when I, you know, when I talk about, you know, my first grand jury, you know, I can tell them this gross thing I saw when I was working in yeah. the jail and they can all gasp and I can tell them that, you know, they can ask me questions and I can tell them about what it was like and how things are different. And I can look at a textbook and go, yeah, this is, this is not right, yeah. you know, and then I can go back it up. How do you deal with both, uh, like, responsibilities of being the director of public safety and also teaching those courses? I stay busy, mm -hmm. you know, but, I mean, that was the thing. My, my, my level when I left the Portland Police Bureau, I was wearing a lot of hats at the time. You know, I was the captain of Central Precinct. I was running the protest. I was, you know, I had the part team going on. I was, you know, on different boards and panels. So, I mean, I had that, you know, as busy as I stay here, I was probably busier when I was back there because I had that responsibility. I was, you know, going all the time. I don't get as many calls at three o'clock in the morning as I used to, you know. Um, you know, I used to get calls all the time. Someone's been shot. This has happened. That's happened. It'd be yeah. like, oh, okay, and go back to sleep. Hopefully, unless it was something really bad. But here, I don't know. I enjoy it. If I didn't enjoy it and I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it. And I think the part of it is like you want to do something meaningful. I think it's important that university to me is meaningful, and it's meaningful to my wife. You look around, and you think about it. how often do you have an experience? You got the people, international people, you know, mm -hmm. kids here. You got the people from all over the United States. You have local. I mean, it, 
there's a great learning experience that's happening here because yeah. you get exposed to all these different cultures and all these dis- different perspectives. Now, granted, they don't always mesh all the time, but it, it it is a unique little place. It's you know it's this little jewel that nobody you know that many people know about. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk about we live in a world where where there is evil, right? And right. part of that is people do things that are not right. And even in a small town like like here can happen a lot of things and crimes. So um, I want to know uh, how does Ozarks deal with crime around the area or even in campus? I think campus, we don't have a ton of crime. I mean, every campus you will have sexual assaults, you know, Mm -hmm. because people get drunk and they do stupid things and stuff happens. Um, but there's crime everywhere. I mean, the guy that used to, Will, Will Vick, that worked for me, he, uh, he left here about seven months, seven months to a year ago. Mm-hmm. He was just murdered. And he was murdered probably, I think his mother-in-law con- confessed to it or whatever, but it's, it, stuff still happens. You're never isolated from it, no matter where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but this is a pretty safe community. We Clarksville Police Department, I'm really happy with them. They've been great with partnering with, with us. They've um, one of the things that I think makes us, you know, helps us a lot is they've given us one of their police radios. So if okay. something happens, let's say something's really bad, like the worst case scenario, we have an active shooter. Well, we're on the police radio talking to them real time. What happens normally is let's say something happens, you call 911, the dispatcher answers, maybe that was 45 seconds to a minute. Yeah. And then they, you get the information from you, another 30 seconds pass. Then they get a hold of uh, Clarksville PD. Then they tell them what's going on. They get the information. Now you got a couple of minutes passed. Well, something's going on here. We're on the air. It's happening now. We're yeah. telling you this is what's going on. Here's where they get. And then uh, my team, I got a great, uh, I got a great team working with me. Uh, Billy Joe Falcons, he's uh, works day shift. He's a retired assistant chief here from locally. So he's got those ties. He knows the community's good. Arian, um, Geraldo, Adriana uh, Geraldo, she's got a heart of gold. And if everybody knows her, and everybody knows that she just loves the, out of the kids and she'd give the shirt off her back for um, any of them. And so that's the kind of culture that I'm just really happy with um, the department. Mm-hmm. When I first got here, everybody was wearing black. They had like black shirts, black BDUs, just kind of like, you know, it's like hut, 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 hut. It's like, no, we don't need that here, yeah. you know? we need how we help the kids they don't need us to you know be forcing forcing enforcing we do parking enforcement but they need us to hey i need somebody to talk to can you help me with this hey i got a tire can you change the tire you betcha and so that kind of changing what what it was into what i think i like what it is now and i hope everybody else is happy with it yeah i i um, i was reading the um, a report that is made by the public safety department every year But I want to ask you, what are the most common types of incidents that happen here at Ozarks? I think uh, they're very, I mean, there's not a ton of them, but the most, I mean, you, you'll have students that'll get caught with marijuana. That's mm-hmm. the big deal. Student affairs handles that. Um, you have the alcohol violations are the, another big one. What do you think? What? Well, you're a student here. What do you think's the big deal? Alcohol? What are you scared of? The alcohol, right? Alcohol. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, you'll always have uh, the sexual assaults, and it's all kinds of different levels, right? There's, there's yeah. just groping, and there's the, 
you know, the more stuff like forcible rapes and so the Title IX and stuff, we deal with that when it happens. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk, talking about my, like more serious crimes at the university. Um, I read the 2022 annual security and fire safety report. Right. That can be found online. And on page 34, there is an annual campus security report that details every crime that happens here uh, at I the wrote university. It. Yeah. yeah, I write that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I know it. Yeah, so um, I was really shocked when I learned about rapes happening on right. campus in residential facilities, with four being in 2019 and two in 2020. Um, and there was also a rape that happened in a non campus place in 2020 as well. So how does OSERCs and public safety deal with those serious crimes? We, we, you got to realize when it happens on a college campus, that might be how many is reported, how many of those were actual, you know, quote unquote, what you think in your mind is a, a full on rape, mm -hmm. uh, might not be the same. But it's also what, we, what we're centered on is it's up to the victim what they want to do. So if I was sexually assaulted and they came and I came forward, I'd have the chance to go, Do I want the police called? If I say no, please don't get called. That's 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 the choice of the, the you know the person that's the the victim. Mm -hmm. Do they want to uh, have an investigation done? That's also a choice because if they say yeah I do, they know that's a lot of trauma to for them to go through. Yeah. But that's their choice and how they want to do it. And if they do want the police, we help make sure that happens and does right. But the most important thing is we make sure that they get the resources they need. On campus here, we have uh, the chaplain. So anything you tell the chaplain uh, is confidential. We have uh, Kato Hoeing, that's uh, our, our counselor, you know, LCSW. What you tell her stays with her. And then also we're very blessed here locally to have the Ozarks Rape Crisis Center. And so I'll put the, that person in touch with them. They'll also help them walk through and process what they want to do, how they want to do it. And then we facilitate that. You know, it's like... Um, And if, let's say if they do want to do a Title IX investigation, which is different than a police investigation, right? It's an administrative hearing. It's not a criminal thing. So if you want a criminal prosecution, you go to the police and they go through it. If you want just a, a Title IX investigation done on it, and then it's almost like it's an administrative hearing where the burden of proof is 51%, and then we'll do the investigation, the suspect, you know, they call it the respondent and the complainant get to review the investigation. Then they get a chance to have advocates that get to question each of the people. Mm -hmm. And then it goes in front of a, a certified decision maker that, you know, that would go and make the ruling on it. Um, we've, since I've been here, we've had a handful of those that go all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, when I took over Title IX, I got myself certified as a Title IX coordinator. Uh, I think I'm like level two now or something like that. Uh, Billy Joe, who did homicide investigations, did every investigation here locally, he went and got certified, and then we're getting other people. So take it really serious that we put the very best, you know, that we can forward to help help people out. So the consequences to the potential um, rapists are on the victim if they want to make, like, prosecution and everything, right? Right. So yeah, but I could, as a title line, if I had a, um, let's say if I had a bigger issue where I mm -hmm. knew I had a person, I could, you know, in the worst case scenario, if I had to, I could open up a case myself. Okay. Um, but primarily, we want to we 
it's important to me that we take care of the victim. I don't want them to be re-victimized again. Mm -hmm. So what they're willing and they're able to go through, that's what's really important to us. Yeah. Is there any, like, direct consequence that the university enforced to those that commit those crimes? Oh yeah, if you if you get found, if you if you you're, you know, if you're found or sustained the allegations of any kind of those crimes are serious, you can be expelled, you're out, right? Yeah. Um, there's different levels of depending on what happens and stuff, but yeah, that you're done here university-wise. That's the worst we can do yeah. is, you know, expel, you know, expel you. Those those uh, allegation itself can make you like No, no. That's the thing about it. You have to have because if not, if anybody just makes an allegation, they see ya. No, that's not, that's not fair either. Mm -hmm. There's got to be an investigation. There's got to be a formal process. There's got to be all that put together, you know, to make sure people are, you know, taken care of. It's got to be fair. Yeah. Um, the report was made back in September of last year, 2022, and it doesn't include any partial da data from last year or... Uh, and I, I also wanted to ask you about this year. So how how is campus in terms of crimes in 2022 and part of the 2020 I think this year we're doing better not better I mean ours is actually relatively low if you look yeah. at the, the number of incidents and what's happening but I think um, I think it's fairly low mm -hmm. we've had a couple incidents we as students also have the responsibility to make campus a safer place so uh, I would like you if you want to give an advice to students to be an active part of making the University of the Ozarks a better place, what could be? I think, you know, it's taking care of each other. I think if you look at um, everybody gets, you know, sooner or later somebody's going to bother us, right? We're going to just, I don't like that person or whatever, but be kind to people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you, you never know what anybody else is going through. Maybe they're being rude, be kind back. Um, if you're talking more like how do you keep each other safe, if you go out drinking and you got a friend that's over drank, take care of them. Get them back. Keep them out of a bad situation. You know, watch over each other. Mm -hmm. That's that's the best thing you can do. And just use your common sense. One of the things I've been extremely concerned about is the amount of fentanyl coming in. Because, you know, you know, college, I don't care what college you go to, um, and there's always going to be some experimentation. Somebody's going to think, oh, wow, I got a test coming up. I want to take some Adderall. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is you don't know what's in there anymore. All it takes is like three little grains of salt kind of thing in that Adderall pill that's not an Adderall pill that can kill you. Um, the gal that babysat my daughter when we were little, her, her son had some issues and he was struggling and he was about to go to rehab on Monday. Well, he picked up a couple of Oxycontin to kind of keep him, get him through the weekend until he went into rehab. He took one pill and died just sitting here like I'm sitting here. Mm -hmm. Mom came and found him the next morning and it scares me to death, you know, I'd gone to Reed College and I'd seen kids overdosed in death and I pulled them out of there. I don't want to have that happen here and that scares me to death because it's like, oh, I'm, you know, well, I'm going to try ecstasy. Well, maybe that ecstasy now has some fentanyl in it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing happening a lot of times. People are pressing their own pills, so they think they got a legitimate pill and it's not. And um, we recently got, um, I bought a bunch of Narcan. Narcan's one of those things, if we can catch somebody soon enough that's having an overdose on those kind of things, it's just like a nasal spray. It'll save their life. Um, we got um, the RAs trained on it and the professional staff and student affairs. So we think, I'm hoping if I put some of those things like this, I hope nobody does it. But if it does, do something does happen, hopefully we can get to them soon enough, we can help them and hopefully save their life. 
Uh, we're getting to the last part of the conversation, and the last part is always like a dynamic that I have um, of church phrases, answers on different questions. Church phrases? So, yeah. All right. So uh, the first one is, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> uh, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is let the dogs out. <laughs> okay. they, they, they have to be, yeah, they got to go. Religion? Religion? Um Boy, I think I've uh, I've been Presbyterian, I've been Lutheran, I've been all over the place, uh, Catholic. Um, I think for me, it's more of a spirituality. I have a strong belief in God. I think uh, religion's important. I think, um, but I think you know, like unfortunately, sometimes we screw it up. So, but um, I have a strong faith in God. I've turned my life over to God, and I think He's directed me even when I've been dumb. Yeah. But yeah. Morning person or afternoon person? Uh, probably definitely afternoon person. Why? I think all the years working afternoons and nights, you know, and I always wake up slow. Favorite music genre? Oh, there's no favorite. I'm all over the place. I like country. I like old rock. I like even some of the new stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I can't pick. Have that, you listened to Bad Bunny? <laughs> I haven't listened to Bad Bunny, but I've listened. Well, I might have listened to Bad Bunny. My daughters had me listen to all kinds of horrible <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I jumped to dream when you were a child. What's that? I, I jumped to dream when you were a child, like and like you know, being a cop. Oh, being a fire. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to be a navy. You know, I wanted to be Top Gun. Okay. TV shows or movies? Um, depends. Um. Now with how things are going, where they have these these series, they're almost like great movies all the way through. I'm kind of transitioning to that. You know, you have all the um, oh, you get all the Yellowstone and all the Tulsa King and things like yeah. that. But I don't know. I've been a big movie buff ever, too, also throughout my life. What is the last TV show or movie that you have watched? Uh, we're watching Reacher right now. I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but he's supposed to. He's a uh, He's an ex-army uh, officer that was a military policeman, and, you know, it's like a cross between Delta right. Force and a cop and all this. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's pretty good. It's kind of make-believe kind of deal. And I've always been a big fan of the uh, John Wick movies because, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's probably not healthy, but it's that vengeance, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> my dog. I think the, the fourth movie is getting... Yeah, sort of coming out like on the 24th. Yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. And now, finally, I give you the opportunity to ask me whatever you want to me. How'd I do? Good. That yeah, was yeah. okay? <laughs> you did great. Okay, well, yeah. if you could change something that we're doing in public safety, can you think of anything? Ooh, I don't know. Um, it's hard because I think it's, we live in a small place, so there's not a lot of things happening, and I think that the job that is doing public safety is really great. Uh, even when we have like incidents of like random people at the on on campus, or when there there are any comments from mostly women when they are being like harassed by uh, bystanders or whatever outside of campus, uh, I think public safety has done a uh, good work on that because they have even sent emails uh, showing the pictures of the people sometimes or yeah. being an active uh, part of the community that is also uh, by explaining several things like for example all the things that 
you have sent about the drugs, for example, in emails and trying to educate us on the on those topics that I think it probably comes hand to hand with public safety, but it's not really your job doing that and you do it as well. So let me ask you great. this. This is for my boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like some of the emails I put out there, which is parking stuff, I'll put like funny stuff in there. Yeah. And she drives her nuts. She thinks it's unprofessional, but I'm trying to explain to her, going, listen, they read it, though. They'll be looking for a stupid possum reference or something. And it's like, otherwise, they just, ah, delete, ah, yeah. delete. Yeah, well, yeah, or nay in the funnies. Yes. I mean, I, somebody sure. gets murdered, I'm not going to go, you know, make a, you know I'm not going to make a joke about no. that. I had, uh, you know, Monty Python? They got that song from Life of Brian. It's like, always look on the bright side of life. Do yeah. do. I had that for a ringtone, and I was at a scene where somebody overdosed, and I'm standing there, and my ringtone went off. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it, was, it was bad. I'm all for it. it was funny, bad. Funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for the, the funny emails. I think that's that's great. I read all the emails regardless of you are might You might be the only one on this campus. You can't get, <laughs> you can't get people to read an email, especially students, to save their life. Yeah. I don't know how to tell them this, but when they go out in the real world, they're going to make you read email after email after email. Yeah. I'll come in on a Monday morning, and it'll be like a thousand. I'll be like, oh, delete, 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 <laughs> yeah. delete. So any final comments you want to make? No, I just appreciate you inviting me here. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. And thank you, everyone, that was here today listening to this episode of the CDRB Show. I'm Christian Rodriguez, and you can follow us on Instagram at CDRB Productions for this and all the other productions we have. This was the CDRB show. We'll see you next time.